We're doing this. We're doing <laughs> Welcome it. Welcome to The Tangent. Yeah. This is The Tangent. I'm Father Sam Kachuba, joined by Matt Sparazza. That's me. This is basically just going to be us talking for a while. And yeah. the idea is we're diving into things Catholic. We're diving into people Catholic who yeah. we have known or have met or who we've seen from a distance doing great things. Right. And right. we're just going to let the conversation happen. Yeah, and I was I was gonna pop in there with a joke about being critical of others, but that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you're not just gonna be critical of <laughs> everyone is, who we talk to. Yeah, we, we bring on guests and just roast them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it could be kind of fun, but I don't think yeah. that it would really do well for our our trying to no. foster an environment of charity and love. Right, right. right. In terms of evangelization, yeah. you know, not the best of moves. It's it's weird. Uh, there's the saying, "What you attract more flies with honey." Uh, so right. know, there's, there's something to right. that, right? That might be the first time I've ever heard that phrase used correctly, or <laughs> right. Fair enough. <laughs> or just the I first do, time ever at all. I, You've never. Heard I do this thing where I I will mix up axioms, you know. So like okay. I like I would take that. Renee makes fun of me all the time at this. Renee's my wife. For those of you who do not know her. Um, which hopefully is so. All it's, of you. So it's pretty serious, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, <laughs> pretty serious and pretty new. Just got married. Yeah. That's she pretty totally cool. likes you. Congratulations. She totally does. She totally does. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, no, but I, like I would have been like, you catch more flies with molasses. Actually, it's more. It's more <laughs> like, but I don't do it on purpose. But it's more like I I confuse axioms. Is it an axiom? Sure. sure. Yeah, I confuse. Well, in that them. case, what what it is is it's called a malapropism. Wow, that's a big word. It, it's a, Tell it's me a about it. Uh, Can you spell it? It means M A L A P R O P, malaprop. And then ism, I S M. Ism on there if you, if you really messed it up. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. Got you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so here's the thing I'm a I was, teacher. I was reading, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading the other day, and I was thinking about you actually as I read this because you're a newlywed, okay. and as as you've gotten your your married life started now just a couple weeks in, uh, I was reading this this thing by Father Benedict Rochelle, and, okay. and he writes that when we when we think about marriage, there's there's sort of first the, the the initial developmental level that we come at marriage with is sort of the romantic ideal of marriage. Mm-hmm. So we, mm-hmm. we see sort of the love story of marriage, and it's it's really an exciting thing. And we so we read about that, and we, that's how we think as children, right? Every yeah. every little kid thinking about about marriage is usually thinking in terms of some romantic ideal, right? And then as you get older, and you actually get into relationships, and and you grow a little bit more as a person, you come to understand that there's more than just the romantic part, right? But very often, uh, especially for for married couples, the the romantic part, they can start to focus more on the realities. And sort of lose the romantic part. And he says, so it's really interesting right. that the the place where a lot of marriage renewal has taken place, things like Worldwide Marriage Encounter, was started by celibates. <laughs> it was started by priests right, who are not right. married. And he said part of that is because priests tend to hang on to the romantic ideal of marriage a lot longer, even though right. in their ministry they, they work with people who are struggling in marriages or who right. have different issues. They'll, they'll hang on to the romantic ideal a lot longer. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it makes sense. You know, I mean, if you look at, uh, I think it's John Paul II. I think he is the one who said this, where it, it was in response to this critique that um, how could a priest help someone with marriage? 
and he basically said like I hear men and women in confession. He's like like it wasn't it wasn't nearly as uh boastful as it might sound coming out of my mouth and it's like like you would have no idea the insight I have. You know what I mean? But he basically right. was like but he he basically said like I have tremendous insight into both of these realms into like into which is so unexpected this this insight into womanhood, you know, as a celibate male priest, you know? Yeah. But but he yeah. really does. And so I guess two questions. Well, one question and then a, a further comment. Do you experience that as a priest? And then um, before I forget, I also love the idea of being attracted to certain vocations based off the aesthetic of it, like that being the entrance way in. Like the first reason I was like, I want to marry Renee was because I was like, Renee's really pretty, you know? And that's very shallow, albeit true, you know, but like not the same as I would. You I would. heard it here first, folks. Matt is shallow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, you know? Yeah. And it's no, like right, the right. idea, like I've heard a priest say like, in, it was in an episode of, I think, Pints with Aquinas. Um, Father Boniface Hicks said like, any priest, any, any young man that says, oh, I want to be. I want to be a Benedictine or, or a Dominican, but is like mostly attracted to the habit at first. It's like, yeah, that's fine. It's the same thing, just different, you know? And so it's not surprising to me that, that celibate people would have such insight, you know? That, yeah, you know, can be I, very I, think both things are, I think both things are true, right? So I, I grew up in the context of a really beautiful marriage. My parents and the way mm. that they lived out their, their marriage and, and still live it out, it's not that they're, they're still alive. Right. <laughs> the way my parents live out their marriage is something that's really beautiful and it's an example that I get to see every day. Or Right. Well, they live in Virginia now, so I don't get to see it every day, but you know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that you, you grow up seeing, so you sort of see the beauty of marriage and you see a little bit of the, the romance as well, and, and that gives you kind of the understanding. Uh, but then as a priest, for sure, hearing confessions or just, just being in a, in a context of working with married couples, you gain an insight into what's going on. It's not the firsthand experience, which is, which is a tremendous teacher. Firsthand mm -hmm. experience is always a, a tremendous uh, way to learn. But it's it's a different form. It's just a different form of of, of learning and understanding. And, and this is why in seminary they're so big on on cultivating a listening heart, helping people, helping your your guys in seminary to really learn how to listen to what's what's being said, and even to listen to what's not being said. When we start to hear what's not being said, that can often give you some insight into what what might be going on or what might be happening in the heart of the person who's who's talking to you. It's interesting you bring up uh, John Paul II talking about confession, though, and and where, how that gives him an insight. Because if you ever read G.K. Chesterton, uh, the Father Brown mysteries, I've never read, read Father those? Brown. I read uh, I read Orthodoxy, and okay. ad oh, admittedly was just very confused by the concept of magic in it. Um, but but I got some nuggets out of it. I really like the last line of that book, actually. But Chesterton's a, powerful because he's he's able to do some sentence constructions that no longer are things that we're capable of in the English language. The way he puts things, he's just wow. got a, a great way of phrasing stuff. But we've kind of lost that art of of writing. But yeah. in in the Father Brown mysteries and, and the Father Brown mysteries, he created this character, Father Brown, who is very surprising. Uh, Go figure, the title character, right? He's this Catholic priest who somehow ends up always in the heart of some murder mystery. And if not a murder <laughs> mystery, then some sort of a robbery mystery. And it's right. always Father Brown doing the mystery solving. And there's a whole series of these stories. They're kind of like Catholic Sherlock Holmes. Uh, cool. And, and 
There's yeah. something really cool about him. Yeah. As a matter of fact, but when I read Sherlock Holmes, that's what I thought was missing. That one aspect. I said he should Catholicism? be a priest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's this this one one of the stories. There's a um, a criminal named Flambeau. I'm pretty sure it's Flambeau. Anyway, he's a French criminal, and he's been stealing things. And Brown finally corners him, but he does it like secretly in the coat check at a restaurant. Okay. And so he like catches him in there and like forces, quote unquote, forces him to go to confession. And Mm -hmm. it's this, it's this really wild scene where he goes, how did you know? And he's in, in years spent hearing confessions, I've come to understand the human person in a very profound way. So much so that even outside of confession, I can hear in people's voices and in their heart and the things that they're saying or the things that they're not saying, what might be troubling them. Sure. And it's simply because I've, I've become a student of the human person. I thought that was interesting because everyone's what we get, we get kind of esoteric with it, right? We think, oh, it's this, it's this somehow I've got a, a divine a divine way of seeing things and understanding things. And it's not that we don't want the divine way of seeing things and understanding things, but like somehow God gave me this gift and now I can read your soul and I know everything there is to know about you. Right. Do, far do more you often experience it's, it's that? A, no, far more often it's it's you become a, hu- a student of the human person. Now there are some moments I won't pretend like it doesn't happen, where you experience like this moment of inspiration where you know say this thing, right? And these words that that's what's going to help this person right now. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it's you spend enough time around people, talking to people, listening to them, kind of getting to know their their lives. And that will give you some some insight into into who they are, and and because in a certain way, like as a priest, I'm I'm detached from it. Mm-hmm. I'm the third party mm-hmm. watching, looking in. Uh, I'm I'm the the person observing from from the outside, kind of hopefully objectively. I don't know, right? <laughs> but I'm right. the person uh, on the outside looking in, and and with that insight, I'm able to to maybe offer something that otherwise I, I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. That's awesome. I've, I've two things. I've never heard, I've never heard um, a priest describe it as the third party on the outside looking in. I've never heard that. I in those words, you know, because it's so often like anytime I've talked to a priest about their hearing discussion, uh, discussion, my gosh, confession. Um, the way that we've discussed it is that like. They've said like, oh, I don't remember anything, or like, or it's a grace to not remember something, um, but, but I've never heard of it. Heard of it as like total, like I mean, the way it sounds coming from your mouth is like you're totally detached from it, um, and so the idea that like these specific words are to be said is like right. that's that's like the real. I mean, it's always real, right? But in persona Christi, right in the sacrament, Christ mm. is working through you. Um, and so that's really cool. It's cool to hear it described that way, having already believed it, you know, from like a scriptural and theological standpoint, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of times when, when people ask us priests about about confessions, we'll, we'll talk about not remembering things. And that's true. Like, there's tons of things in the confession that I, f- I, I forget. Right. <laughs> I Do I you pray for that? And, um, I, I have certainly prayed for it, and I've I've found that more often than not, it's just become sort of a default. Right. It, it just right. happens, and and again, there's a, a huge grace in that. Yeah, as you say that, like what a gift! Is, I, what a gift! Yeah. 
Well, because honestly, I don't, I don't need to remember. I don't need to hang on to all your sins. I got my own to deal with. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. So it's, it's actually better for me if I can forget what you confessed in, in, in your own confession, because then I, I've got, as, as a priest, I've got my own, my own moral failings that I need to bring to the Lord for mercy. Right. Do you ever... It also lets me, I was going to say, it also lets me interact with people. Uh, right, right. You know, I out, mean, outside of the confessional work, right. I'm not. I'm literally not thinking about whatever was said in confession. Right, right. Which is because, very good. Well, yeah. I would what say a way to, about what a way to stagnate your shepherdhood. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think about ninety-five percent of the people who come to confession uh, with me here, anyway, at least probably come come anonymously. Uh, it's right. rare at this right. point that there's there's like face to face stuff, which is. Honestly, that's great. Right. The, yeah. the anonymity is, is is both for for the priest and for the person, right? Do it's, you it's prefer not just so it that, that way? You can be anonymous. Honestly, I, I find it really helpful. There there are certain situations where like especially if somebody's dealing with some major stuff and and they in addition to needing to confess their sins, they also need some counsel through it. Right. Then a face to face environment can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. But the what the screen does is it, it reminds me of of my office in that moment that I I am here as as Christ and I am here to be an instrument of Christ for this person to be an instrument of, the, of God's mercy to them. Um, my my job is not for this to be an interpersonal exchange right. in the sense of Father Sam dealing with this this person. Right. Uh, although I still I can't help but bring my own personality into it. Right. Right. The whole point is actually that I'm here for this person to help them to to confess their sins, to receive God's mercy. And really that's the primary goal. And by being on the other side of the screen, it helps me to to focus more on on what my particular roles. It also forces me to listen more carefully. Wow. Because I can't see their face. So I've I've got to listen more to, to what they're saying. Yeah. I've I've learned a lot in in that time of just really really listening to to people. Um, I saw a commercial for um, there was some reality TV show where uh, couples were dating but through a wall. Yeah. So they never actually yeah, saw I've each other. It. They were just set up on these. Yeah. On, and I saw I saw this commercial and I was like, I'd clean up on that game, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which sounds like a really weird thing to say. But I'm like, yeah, no, I, I know how to listen and to, right. and to hear what's going on. And I know how, I to, to, how to not see somebody's face and time. ask the right question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, ah. Oh. But of course, it's better that I, I'm not on things like yeah. that. It's, it's yeah. better. Uh, you can make the argument it would be better for everybody if nobody was on games like that. For sure better for <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, look... If if we can get away from reality TV, we're doing something good yeah. for ourselves. Did you hear? Do you know the game? Uh, not the game. Well, the show Squid Game. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, is that the the thing on on Netflix yeah. or something? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it's it. It's like a, a murder show. Yeah, basically, it's basically like people. Uh, the premise. I mean, it sounds terrible. I, again, I've never seen the show, but like, I feel like you can make certain objective claims about television shows before you see them. Um, Mm-hmm. Like for example, there's a, this is not Squid Game. There's a show called Lucifer, and in this show, Lucifer is the good guy. Um, and so anytime, anytime any student has ever come up to me and been like, "Have you seen this show?" I'm like, "No," and you shouldn't watch it. That's terrible. This is going to be so <laughs> confusing for you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but Squid Game has uh, the premise is basically like v- there's there's a group of people who are in need of money there's they they are in dire need of money for for whatever reason it is and they go to this squid game um 
and it's to compete for money. And they think it's my understanding is they think it's normal at first, but then it turns out that they're going to literally compete to the death. Um, and when they find that out after the first round, where like a bunch of people die, you know, they're like, you can leave and then you can come back if you want. And they've like the main character leaves and then comes back or something like that. Right. Um, but the whole point is that it's like a last man standing fight to the death for the entertainment of the rich people. Um, which I'm sure is mm. there, there's an attempt at a political commentary there. Um, but my understanding is they're making a real squid game. This is a thing that Netflix wants to do. It's not going to be fight to the death, you know, but it's like 500 people are, let's hope, right. Not. But it's like 500 people go into a room and then the winner gets $10 million, you know? And it's so it's basically a last man standing, okay. you know, for ten million dollars. And I'm thinking this, and I'm like, this is like, this mm. is this is like barbaric, you know what I mean? We talked about this is the show is called Tangent for a reason because this has literally nothing to do with confession, um, right? Exactly. But like, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I don't know why I thought well, of it. So. But, but here's no. Here's the thing. This is this is where I'm going now because you started talking about about them putting a show in development, and this has been on my mind for a while. I don't think it's come out yet, but the Rings of Power. It has. It, it hasn't come out yet, but I know what you're talking about. Of, it's, it hasn't come out, but it's it's coming yeah. up. So it's this uh, Amazon. It is I think? Amazon. Yeah, they're doing an adaptation mm -hmm. of uh, of the Silmarillion, yeah. and it's supposed mm -hmm. to be kind of it's supposed to go along with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit yeah. and everything. And I don't know. I. I haven't first I should I should state clearly I have not read the Silmarillion in its sure. entirety and as a huge Tolkien fan I'm a little embarrassed by that like ashamed of myself for not having That's really okay. gotten enough into Tolkien yeah. canon I've I've read the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit a million times but I've I've not one finished the Silmarillion times. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm not literally one million. Oh. Anyway, I think I'm maybe maybe a quarter of the way through the Silmarillion I got a lot of right, work to yeah. do. But I, I, I'm just seeing this adaptation coming and I keep hearing these little whisperings here and there that it's it's not going to be that good mm -hmm. or that they're they're bringing in stuff. And I'm so nervous. Like, I thought they did a great job with the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and even there, I'm I'm uh, I'm picky enough that I can say, yeah, but they, they kind of missed out on some major things, mm -hmm. uh, which would have made the, the movies, uh, what, five hours long each I mean, instead of just three and a half hours Tom long Tom Bombadil's each. not in it. You know, like that's the big exact. Tom Bombadil's not in it. Uh, Sauron dies on the on I the know. wheel instead of actually escaping, and there's no scouring of the Shire. Yeah. These are all things that I think are really important yeah. for the movie. Anyway, I, I think all those things are important. I think what they did with the Hobbit was inexcusable, stretching it into three movies and bringing in characters that didn't exist from the book. That was just silly. It didn't need to happen. Yeah, um, yeah but they really, so really I, wanted I, to I make money. I watched the first Hobbit movie and then refused to watch the rest. Yeah, they did. And they do over-reliance on CGI, whereas the first one, they did such a great job getting all the prosthetic masks right. for the, the orcs right. and everything. It was fantastic. Anyway, that's that's a whole other thing. But I'm I'm just really finding myself in a place where I don't trust what they're doing with uh, the rings of power, right. and I'm nervous about it. And then I saw something the other day and said, "This is me when I realized that if the the rings of power isn't everything I hoped it would be, I don't have to watch it." <laughs> I realized, oh yeah, I don't have to right. watch. And this is the thing, all right? Because you you just said it as as advice that you give to your students if they're talking to you about a TV show or something that they, that they think is might be interesting and you can just say even without having seen it that sounds like a bad show don't watch it right sometimes we've got to be able to say that like there are some things that 
we can know by the name of it or by the description of it, this isn't going to be good for right. me, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't get into it. And, and, is and it that's, called, how we, that's how we fall into sin, right? Is it right? called American Pie dot dot dot? Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah. we, we fall into sin real easily because we think, oh, that seems interesting. Right. I know it sounds bad also, but I'll watch right. it anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, like sometimes we just have to know ourselves. We got to know what we're dealing with and, and what the world is like right. and, and we're going to be okay. And but to be fair. Sometimes the better thing is to just hold Sometimes back. it's easy, right? Sometimes it, e- it is easy. But sometimes it's, it's quite difficult to discern these things. Um, for example, to stick with the Rings of Power, right? There were rumors that they were going to incorporate nudity into this TV show. Um, and okay. I, when I heard that, I was, I was, I was aghast. No, I was, but I was pretty ticked off. Um, beca- well, you because should, I was because like, there's none in anything that Tolkien right. wrote. And that, that honestly, I mean, you can't, I, I think at least, you can't have an expectation of everybody else to meet Catholic social teaching because they're not Catholic. You know what I mean? But based off the fact that Tolkien, who is like, I mean, to call him a powerhouse Catholic might be an exaggeration, but like he's a well-known Catholic figure who is actually Orthodox. You know what I mean? And so it's like, talk about spitting on the guy's grave if you were to do that, you know? Now I have, I have since done some research on this because I want, I want to watch the show. I want to at least try it out, you know? Um, and my understanding is the nudity will be in a situation where like it's done in the same way as if they had shown nudity in a in a movie about Nazism and concentration camps. Right. It's like to show horror. Um, and this is a conversation that I have. I have regu- pretty frequently of like, well, what is acceptable to see in a in a movie? You know, uh, because I, I personally am of the opinion that like there's never, ever any need to show anybody's like naked body in a film. I just don't I just don't think it's necessary. If you showed if you had to show like these two people had sex, it's like, okay, well I can get the idea from hints, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't <laughs> context yeah, like, clues. I wasn't born yesterday. You, yeah. you know? And if that's somehow essential to the story, which many stories it is, you know what I mean? It's like, well, you can show it without having me, you know, needing me to see this other person who has dignity. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's it's rare that the explicit content does much to, to further, further the, story. the plot. It, it's so rare, but right. it's it, like ex- explicit sexual content rarely furthers the plot, so we can just avoid right. it. But with okay with, with this this type of situation, right? And I'm I'm curious. You know what I mean? Uh, where it is like it's to show the horror of of let's let's forget rings of power it's, it's to show the horror of a concentration camp you know what i mean well you know what maybe yeah. i'm sure that's something that was done at concentration camps i'm sure they were you know stripped naked and beaten and and you know and if it's to show this is the horror of this ideology you know what i mean like i could see how, uh, i can well, see so how the lord letting if someone you, if you see, see something evil like uh, would bring about a good yeah you know yeah, if you see something like Schindler's List, I haven't seen. I haven't the seen movie Schindler's Amistad. List. Schindler's so Schindler's List is, is a, <laughs> it's a it's a be- it's a beautiful right. movie. Um, it's very powerful. It's disturbing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but but really, I think of a very powerful film. And then you've got something like uh, Amistad, which is about the the slave ship that actually ended up in New Haven. Okay. Uh, okay. Connecticut. Uh, 
there's there's nudity in in it, but it's in the context of the concentration camp, in the context of uh, chattel right. slavery. And what it does is it actually moves your heart right to to deep pity and reverence for the victims. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being something that's that's titillating or that's just just for for some kind of you know purient right. reason, it's actually something that gets you. It moves you to to a sense of pity. So in that case, it's it is serving a purpose. It's not a gratuitous thing, nor is it something that's that's impure. This at the right. same time, I don't think it's necessary. Right, and that's. But there's in in a context like that, and that's that that's kind of taking it a step to like a, a more deeply developed conscience and to a, a higher level of thinking right. about things. In in general, like I'm not going to say to a, a, a kid, "Hey, it's fine for you to watch this right. movie because it really gives you a, a deep insight into the victims of of war or slavery or right. hatred." Like, no, no, don't watch this. It's 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 and too it, much for you. I think it in would... the same way that I'm not going to like let kids watch certain TV shows. Right, and. Right, because it's it's not. I think it would depend on the person as well. You know, there's got to be the personal aspect, and um, I've I've talked about this before on another one of Veritas's show, Restless. Um, how someone is that the first time we had to shout out a a show on on Veritas? I don't know. (laughs) Is that the first one we did? All right, Restless. Um, Can we have them on as guests? Yeah, why not? Like the the whole restless crew will just yeah, get them all, all in. Eighteen of them. <laughs> no, <laughs> do I have to be a cast member there or here? Um, both. I don't know. We'll let you switch on <laughs> right, and off. I, we have them in one other room. But you have to change <laughs> hats. We're going to give I'm you like an actual hat I, that you have to I'm wear. I'm in here, and then I run over there and I change hats. <laughs> yeah, I answer yeah, my exactly. own question. Um, the the uh, basically like what I was going to say is it depends on the person because say say you are a, an individual. Uh, and and I can speak to this myself, right? Like, was was I am an individual? Actually, it's amazing. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, uh, I I used to be, and think you know, through God's grace, have been have been lifted of it, but was heavily addicted to pornography at one point, you know. And so, seeing seeing nudity in a film is something that I have avoided like the plague, you know since being mm-hmm. freed from that terrible affliction. And it really was. It was awful, you know? Um, and so it depends. Like like you said, you would never advise it to a kid. Well, I wouldn't advise it to like a teenage boy, period. You know what I mean? Like in particular, That's you know what point. I mean? Like yeah. there is never an excuse for any man under the age of like 21. You know what I mean? And even that, it's like that's a stretch. Depends on where they are. And, he, and even then. No, you're right. You know? You're absolutely right. Well, and that's so that coming back to confession, then, right, to, and to the the the, the point of confession, th- there are so many times when uh, somebody's struggling with with a sin of some sort. It depends on who the person is, how you're going to advise them to to mm-hmm. deal with it, right? Um, somebody who's who's never really experienced this particular sin before um, might be confused, like, how did I fall into this? How did I get to this point? Because that's uh, so often that's the response to sin, right? It's not like, oh, I've, I've been desperate to do this for a really long time and I finally had the chance to, to commit this sin and then I realized it was a sin and I shouldn't have done it and I felt bad. No, most of the time somebody falls into a sin that they've never committed before and they come with this deep grief that they, that they fell into it and they're struggling to understand how it happened. But maybe there's somebody who has struggled with that sin mm-hmm. repeatedly. That person needs a lot less explanation for how right. it happened. right. right. And a lot more, a lot more in the way of compassion, right? So you start to, to what's happening with with a person and, and how they've um, 
how they're how they're dealing with these different things, um, all the the stuff that can be that can be going into it. You know, the, the good news in, in the end is always that that God is the one who's merciful and He's going to take care of yeah. us, right? And that's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate end. Of right. All of it. I mean, I say I say before you know like I've been freed by God's grace. Well, confession was a a massive you know what I mean part of that. I received the grace of the Lord through confession repeatedly, you know, in an amount that it's almost like in an amount that I'm not proud of, you know, but I have to boast about because it's about, it's the Lord's grace. You know what I mean? Isn't that St. Paul? He says, right, I only boast in my sufferings. I only boast in, in like basically his downfalls in order to boast in the grace of the Lord. Right. You know, and that's, that's why I've, I've come to this point where I try not to, I mean, there was a point where I was terribly ashamed of it and, 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 I mean, I do still feel shame for the sin, but in a different way. I look on it now and I say that was that was a, a, a thing I did that was wrong, but God has saved me, you know? Whereas before it was this unhealthy shame. And I've con- come to learn about shame through through John Paul's teaching on it, how it's actually a gift. Um, yeah. So. Well, all right, ready for this? So we've gone on a whole bunch of different directions here. We're yeah. going to bring it back now to that idea of romance. Right, we're gonna bring okay. it back to that 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 romance in, in the beginning. Before we do that, because, though, yeah, we gotta we gotta split. If you want to catch the rest, where you gotta go to the podcast, right? Well, we're going to the podcast. That's right. Going to the podcast. Yeah, catch, catch the tangent uh, as a podcast. Um, where Matt? Anywhere you get um, your podcasts? Anywhere you get your podcasts? <laughs> I was like, I was like, is there an answer to that question? <laughs> Okay, well then, it's, this is the tangent of, of a production of Fairy Tales Catholic Network. Join us next week when we figure out how to go out. <laughs>That was good. <laughs> I had so much, so much more to say. Just this one little thing. Just this one little thing. Right, bringing it all back to the idea of romance. Right, whatever, whatever struggle we have, the romance of God towards okay. His people. The romance of God towards His people is that He He desires the relationship with us no matter what, and so when we understand that this is a God who, who is pursuing us, right? Like Catholic dating world right now, it's always like, I just want a guy who's going to pursue right. me. <laughs> or uh, discerning pursuing right. this girl or not. You know, it's like just the, all this, this idea. Of, but that's a romantic idea, and it, there's a reason for that yeah. romantic idea because the pursuit, it's divine. That's what God does with us. Right. He pursues us, and we see it in Revelation. We see how God does this with the people of Israel pursuing them in everything and every time they're unfaithful to him, still pursuing them and calling them mm-hmm. back out of love. And then we start to understand the depth of what that of what that romance is, the divine romance for for his people, God loving us and desiring to be in that relationship with us. And see, we can get caught up in the practicality. That's where right. the shame comes in. Right. I did this thing and now now I'm ashamed. Now I'm I'm kind of living in this in this dark place where where I'm I'm sad because of of what I've done and what I'm struggling with. But when we remember the the divine romance and what God is doing, he's, it's that pursuit that, that he's coming towards us, that he's always inviting us back. He's always entering into that relationship with us. The more we enter into that relationship, the more we're being healed and built up and formed and, and taken in, in new directions. We need to remember that that romance. So I think in the same way that a married couple might start to get a little bit 
just caught up in the, mm-hmm. the practicalities mm-hmm. and the, the day-to-day routine stuff of, of marriage and kind of lose the romance. And it's the priests who come in and remind them of, of the romance. And in a similar way, it's the priest's job to remind people of the romance with God. But this is where I'd flip it around. I'd flip it around because what is it that brings priests back to their knees to pray? What is it that brings priests back to like a revival of the spiritual life? Every single time I've experienced that is because I've fallen into the routine of parish mm. ministry, the routine of priestly ministry, doing like daily mass and then getting up and going and doing this thing and this thing and this thing. And then it's sitting down and hearing from a lay person about their experience right. in prayer, something that they experienced when they went on retreat, some way that God spoke to them and realizing that these these people are entering into the, the romance of a relationship with God that I've too easily forgotten about. And- and what an amazing it gift it is. It's something, I mean, listen, I've been married for what, like three weeks in a day? So it's like been like, it's been like 15, it's been Way like to go, 15, buddy. It's been Way like 15, to go. 20 minutes, you know? Um, but even in this very short period of time, and to be fair, I'm trying to pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Um, I have noticed, right, that this like, it's something that I always struggled to, to I don't know, how, to, to actualize maybe. You know, I understood it in my head. It was like, yeah, the Eros one feels is a mirror of the way you should feel about God. You know what I mean? That's like those two things are deeply intertwined. And I only, it was only after getting married and perhaps like, perhaps being willing to indulge it. You know what I mean? Being, being willing to indulge Mm. like the, the Eros that I feel that, that attraction I feel towards Renee was I like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm supposed to feel about the Eucharist? Oh my, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Wow, I had no yeah. idea. This was, this, this deep yearning was how it's supposed to be. Um, and like I had, like again, like I intellectually knew that, oh, I'm supposed to yearn for the Eucharist. You know what I mean? But it what like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't deep in my heart, you know. And it was only after taking that deep yearning for my wife that I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And that's how that's how the Lord feels about me. Except even more, this is the sh- this is a shadow of that, you know. So yeah. it's like, of course, something that's also really cool about that is it's something that is very specific to my vocation. Um, and so quickly specific to my vocation that I was like, I was like, wow, I see how the Lord brought me here too, you know, like already, I'm already seeing that, you know? Uh, sure. and so what a grace that was too. But I guess now, now when I think of Beautiful. right, that romantic aspect, I mean, Christopher West says it all the time, right? What's the point of the gospel? God wants to marry you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, it's like, wow. But even right. that didn't register considering the fact that I hadn't been married. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know. So that's that's just a cool thing from the past, you know, thirty seconds. Yeah, um, I'm 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 with you there. And you know, it's interesting. I remember reading a, a story of a guy uh, who he and his wife uh, the the Sunday after they I think mm-hmm. they got married on on a Friday uh, went on their honeymoon and then Sunday found the the church in town right. and went to mass. And he he wrote this reflection about going to mass for the first time as a married man. And he said, I've never understood the words, this is my body, mm. which is given up for you in in the same way. And I don't think I'll ever understand them uh, any better than, than what I understand through marriage. And there's, there's a real profound beauty in that. And it's true. Like 
Christ gives himself to us totally. And he gives everything for us and he's, he's, he's poured out completely for us. And it's that, that totally free gift. And, and what a, what a beautiful, beautiful gift it is, but that in, it's instructive. The gift of the Eucharist becomes instructive for everything else that's happening. It becomes instructive for everything else that God wants to give to us. It, so, yeah, it, it's, it's it is incredible. Amazing. You know, the other day we were, we, we did a thing, the other day we did a thing for, for the kids here, mm-hmm. um, for the youth group. And, uh, so they were doing slip and slide kickball. That's awesome. Yeah, which there's there's not let, a whole. Let lot me know of, next time uh, you play. Oh yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool to watch. Uh, they're they get these these kids got way more into it than I expected. Notice that I said play and not watch. Yeah, I said I said play. <laughs> I very much stood on the sidelines to to just see this unfold. But they they were they were so into it, and and at one point they're they're just. I don't know what came over all of them, but they were they were really all very passionately involved in this, uh, encouraging one another, laughing at each other, mocking mm-hmm. each other, all very passionately and and I right, think charitably. Yeah. But it was it was pretty funny. And at one point, one of the boys he's been doing this Bible study here, and in the course of the Bible study, they've brought in a little bit of theology of the body stuff, and sure. he just starts screaming. Total, faithful, fruitful, and free. Total, faithful, fruitful, and free. He's just chanting theology of the body slogans while he's out in the field waiting for a ball to get kicked to him. I'm going, right. what okay. are you doing, man? And he was just so into it. I'm like, okay, that's... Uh, look, right. I'm, I'm here for it. I, I'm right. glad that you know this stuff, and I'm, I'm glad that you're willing to scream it really loudly for right. the entire neighborhood to hear. I think that's that's great. Right, I don't right. know what context you're using it in right now because slip and slide kickball does not right. make me I'm think I'm trying of to figure it out body. as you speak. But hey, there it is. Oh, you never found no out. No idea. No idea, but he just did it. He went for it. No. He's just like we talk about it all the time in Bible study and and I love it and it just it's I think it was really truly just something that resonated right. with him that that he kept talking about. You know, that's okay, beautiful. That's, that's cool. Go for it, man. If yeah, it's great. But see right there. That's that's the other part. How often do we do we look at kids and think, oh, I don't know if they can handle yeah. this. I don't, know, I don't know if they can handle learning about this. I don't know if I don't know if it's going to be okay for me to ex- instruct them in this way because if I do, maybe they'll get turned off. Yeah. Maybe they won't like something. Or you know, I think whatever you can make be. the argument, right? I mean, we can bring it back to to telling these kids like you shouldn't watch that. You know, I think you can make the argument that that the age at which something like this should be introduced is far earlier now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Because these kids, these kids are on the internet. Oh, for sure. It is like I, I I read a statistic once. I don't remember what it was. I think it was the age of, I think it was eight, right? That is the average age a child is exposed to pornography now. It's something. It's eight or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the average age is it's it's insanely low right. and depressingly low. So actually, this is an interesting point because if you look right now, um, I, I think Bishop Frank might have talked about it on Let Me Be Frank. So oh, second shout yes. out to another Veritas show. And let me tell you something. We got a killer line. <laughs> I think at, I think Bishop at, Frank at Veritas Catholic yeah. Radio Network. <laughs> and and we're just really proud to be part of it. Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think he talked about this in one of his episodes. And if he didn't talk about it, then it's something that's come up in discussions with religious ed and um, and the Catholic schools. But the idea of 
uh, finding age-appropriate ways to incorporate right. the teachings of theology, the body, uh, again, age-appropriate ways all, all throughout, so that we're, we're teaching kids to, to respect mm-hmm. and understand their mm-hmm. own dignity and the dignity of others. So really simple ways of, of introducing anthropology, because actually I think that's... Right. That's the heart right. of it all. It's the anthropology. And when you have a, a proper theological anthropology, you're able to recognize the God-given right. dignity of, of every person. You don't have to talk about no. uh, you don't have to talk about sex or, or anything like that. You can just talk about the, the God-given dignity of another person. But as you start to understand that, then children kind of instinctively right. know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And actually that, that's something that all of us should know more or less by by instinct, by 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 nature, right? It's our, it's the natural law written in our hearts that we, we already know certain things, but when the world around us is so loudly right. proclaiming something different, that n- voice of the natural oh, it's law so hard. gets really we're so good at, to listen to. at talking ourselves out of things. But if we're able to, yeah, and if we're able to, at a, for for children at a really young age, and we'll yeah. we'll talk about this in another episode. Sure. I think we'll talk about education and 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 teaching kids. But if if we're able to incorporate some some semblance of and some understanding of uh, the church's understanding of the human person from a very young age, then the dignity of of the body and the understanding of the incarnation. Right. So that's the thing that makes it all click. It's the, the incarnation. I've said this before in, in homilies that there's a, a professor of theology who is known to begin and end every lecture with the incarnation happened. Right. And then he would lecture on whatever the subject was. And then at the end of the lecture, he would stop and say, the incarnation happened and the bell would ring and everybody would leave. Right. But, this idea that the incarnation is the it's it's the crux for everything, it's the way that everything works. It's because the incarnation happened, and that's that's Gaudium et Spes twenty two. It's only in the, in the mystery of of the word incarnate that the mystery of man is revealed. Right, right. It's when we understand that that God took on our human flesh, so He raised this body to a, a deeper dignity, even even more than what we had in the beginning. Right, it's, and, and it's amazing. And that's what I was going to say. It's that. Right, you're saying to talk about theology of the body isn't to necessarily talk about sex, and the point is that, well, if they don't understand the anthropology of it, right, if they don't understand the the dignity of their body because of this anthropology, this this Catholic anthropology, right, they're not going to buy what we say about sex anyway. You know what I mean? It's like it's almost like it's almost like it's the wrong thing. I'm teaching health this year, um, and uh, I have thought you know, a thousand times at this point, like, oh, I'm going to incorporate theology of the body. And, and notably I'm, I'm taking a theology of the body class at Franciscan this year as well. Um, Good. And so it's, and nice. it's, it was, it wasn't something that I was like really seeking to do. It's just, I think the Lord just put it on my heart. So I was like, all right, fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, how you respond to the, respond to the Lord. Whatever, <laughs> whatever Lord. Um, but like it has, it is only from, <laughs> It is only from looking into it deeper that I'm like, that I have, I, I have come to realize that, oh, it's not just like a sexual ethics course. That's not what that is. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it is this, well, who are you? Who are you? You know what I mean? And then, and then sexual ethics, that's a part of it. It is. But like, if you don't give me step one, I'm not going to buy step eight, you know? So it's like, that, that's something that's, that's come to my attention recently. It's, it's edifying to hear well, you say the same thing. Yeah. And then... It, Look at that, though. Look what you said before about what was it that brought you to yeah. Renee? Yeah, I it did. Was that you thought she, she was, was also really good at the card right. game. Step spit. one. 
<laughs> I was like, man, this chick is so cool. So you saw that she was <laughs> she was beautiful. She was yeah. skilled at a game that uh, yeah. you felt that's that's and an it was and it was a throwback a from my childhood too. I, I so I'm have. sure that played um, a role. Sure, because that's that's the game that you yeah. play on, on rainy days. Uh, yeah. Like, at camp, at yeah. summer camp. That's the, yeah, exactly. All right, so, so go back to that though, right? Because step one is that that initial attraction that you still don't understand. You still don't fully grasp everything that there is to, to grasp, but it's what attracts you and gets you started. If, if we can present that image of the human person that's attractive mm-hmm. and inviting, then that's going to get them. So I want to close All in right. with, with this really profound thought. The reason I'm interested in watching this Rings oh, of Power series. I thought you were going to say the incarnation was real. No, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. The reason I'm interested in watching this this uh, Rings of Power thing is because the books have been so attractive to me. Right. Reading, reading Tolkien's writing has been so attractive to me. Watching the first Lord of the Rings movies was super attractive for me. I was let down by The Hobbit. Really? I've never seen him. I've never seen them. I, I was I was let down by the Hobbit movies because I felt like they weren't true enough to the book. Okay, but I'm kind of holding out this hope that there's a return to the romance. Wow! Right? That there's a return to like the real thing. Yeah. So that's why we I'm interested watch in together. watching it. But I'll tell you what, if it if it if it's if it's not looking good though, I'm turning it off. How about I'm, this? I'm going to take your if advice. Just we'll just watch don't it watch together, it. right? And if it's, <laughs> if it's really if it's, good, then we'll make a podcast about how it was really good. Uh, and if it's really bad, we'll turn it off and make a podcast on the spot. On then we'll the never spot, speak of it we'll again. Pod- we'll never speak no, no, of it again. No, no, we got to take advantage of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to bring all the equipment. Take advantage of these fools. No, I yes. don't know. Fly you fools. Did you ever, you ever seen that meme where they talk about how Gandalf Fly actually said that because fools. he was telling them to take the eagles? <laughs> they just totally missed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope it's oh, real. Oh, man. Hey, this is The Tangent, and I'm Father Sam Kachuba. You can catch us on Veritas <laughs> on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM. Yes, I have it on a magnet right behind me. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad. We'll see you next time. God bless you. <laughs>